And there have been other pandemics before our time. Eventually we will find ways and we will get back into our concert halls. But I would say that it would be fruitful to always be thinking creatively <laughs> and open-mindedly about all the different ways to make the music and it makes you a better musician and your life will be super interesting this way. And I guess the biggest thing is to stay curious and to experiment and just stay open and flexible to make your career going forward. Can we just put that, can we plaster that on our wall? That whole, <laughs> that whole thing, is, it's a big tattoo. It's, good. it's a back oh tattoo. It's God. a great tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes, Notes Podcast. 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 We're happy you're here. Hello everyone. Special guest, Met, performer, and also... M- my ear training TA, <laughs> Julia Choi. Let's go. Woo! No, for real. Like I, I remember, and this is just personal. I remember looking up to her because I got, I went to uh, Juilliard for my master's degree. And when I went in, she was a second year master's. She was a ear training TA. She was the concert master in many, many of the Juilliard orchestra performances, including lab orchestra. She, from the outside, always seemed like she had it together and she was going places. And here's me, this podunk violist from like <laughs> Georgia, who doesn't know a damn thing about the, Blue the music Blue industry. State, Blue State, Georgia, wink, wink. (laughs) But yeah, no, she was like the litmus test for me. The absolute gold standard for string playing excellence. And uh, I'm blown away that she even like came on the podcast. So thank you for coming by, Julia. It was great. We talk about that journey, how to get to the Met, one of the premier musical groups in the entire world. And it wasn't easy. And so she's going to talk through about it, about her journey. And really what it took to take you know, those steps uh, across the street from Juilliard to the Met. <laughs> and it's not even that far, like physically, like distance wise. Yeah, you can see it. It's pretty close. It's but pretty it was close. a five-year journey for her, but she really did it. I think what both Drew and I saw back at Juilliard was that she worked so hard. And so she put hard. in the time. She's put in the struggle. And now she's gone on and she's venturing out into new avenues. She's putting that energy into her teaching into her own podcast. And it was just wonderful to have uh, someone who's really out there doing it and yet still learning and trying out new things. And and just one more thing, guys, I, I know our episodes tend to be long, but Julia at the very end of this podcast goes on a journey of uh, advice for younger musicians, things she wished she had known uh, when she was uh, just starting out in college. So if he... I, I don't even care if you listen to the whole episode. You need to listen to the very ending when she breaks it down because she talks about entrepreneurship. She talks about uh, what it takes to be to get that call back uh, whenever you get that gig. Uh, she just lays down amazing knowledge, and uh, I urge you to listen to the end. So our next guest, Julia Choi. Julia. Julia. <laughs> Julia Choi is in the house. Hey guys, it's What's so good up? to see you. It's oh so good goodness. to see you. I mean, I think the last time I saw you was like my first year. It was only my first year in uh, Julia. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. It's been such a long time. 
And then I saw you perform with Henry and I forget the other couple of guys. You guys played the piano. I remember you came to that. (laughs) It was with my sister. Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I forget who else played. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. No, it was. I met met the violinist and the violist. They were not. They were not familiar to me. I forget who they were. Yeah, but I was really thankful that you came to my performance. It was so nice because it was all the way on the east side. It was on Park Avenue or something like that. Yeah, but it was it was dope, and I wanted to hear some Brahms. And then we all got to go have some food afterward. It was a good hang. Oh, you know what it it was? Um, Shimon and Matosh. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Shimon oh. played one of my pieces back at the J. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was in my. Was he in my suite? No, no, no. He wasn't in. He might have been in my suite. I don't remember. I stayed in the dorms. But uh, for the listeners, the east side going to the east side is a big deal. It's very far away. Oh my god, it takes so long. You got to take like, the L train or a bus. Yeah, you have to like yeah. get on a bus. It's it's insane. Crosstown bus. The bus would be fine. It would be fine if it would just like go straight through. But it stops every avenue, and it takes so long. It stops for pedestrians. It stops for animals, well. so it's just kind of. <laughs> but we stop for no one. So facts, facts. That's true. Uh, speaking of which, like I wanted to kind of open it up because, like, I've I moved out to LA uh, a little over two years ago now. It feels like, whoa, really two years? Dang. Uh, I've been I've been gone from New York City for a while. So h- how is? It? Are you there right now? I am not here, but I'm trying to show that I'm here. Oh yeah, with the, with the Brooklyn <laughs> Bridge <artwork>. picture. <laughs> Actually, when I when you asked me to do this, I said I would be in New York City today. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, back home, but um, I decided to extend my stay in Dallas, so I'm yeah. staying with my sister right now and just hanging out. I have no obligations up there, so yeah, I'm I'm here. But tell us more. Tell us more about that. Like you were your player with the Met Opera. And so what's what's going on with that situation? I think at least for me, not being in New York City and with all the news and 2020 is just too much. What's going on? Can you break it down for us? As you all know, New York City was among the first to really severely suffer from COVID-19 and the um, initial outbreak of the pandemic in the States. Um, So it was really devastating to see everything shut down and the Met Opera was the first major institution in the arts community to make that announcement of cancellations for the two weeks um, coming up. And I think that at that point, all of Lincoln Center had had a meeting to discuss and to make the decision together. But the opera was the first to really officially call it and to make that public announcement. And I still remember that day so vividly, um, we were about to have our opening night of one of Rossini's operas, um, Cinderella, and we had been rehearsing it for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, before the announcement was made, maybe three to four hours prior to showtime. Um, so it was a huge bummer for everyone involved, especially, you know, the singers, all the soloists that came in. Yeah, I mean, it was really devastating. And then the New York Phil closed and then the ballet and also Carnegie Hall. Um, and when it all shut down, I had actually known that COVID was 
a thing because my parents had been keeping up with the Korean news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which was obviously yeah. talking about the virus spreading throughout China. Um, so I had already known about this well before any of my friends really knew um, anything about it. And I was already beginning to wear masks in Ubers and on the streets and, you know, getting weird looks. And I remember still when masks, <laughs> wearing masks was a huge deal. And it, um, it was really kind of looked down upon for some reason. And, you know, even today in some states, I think it's really important, um, that everyone masks up because we in the arts industry really, really need to get back to work and, it won't Can be you say that again this. for the people in back, please? <laughs> Wear a freaking mask, everybody. We need to work. I want to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, we really need to work and make a living. So please yeah. wear a mask mm-hmm. for all your Shout friends out. in the arts. PSA. Um, yeah. And then as for the current situation right now with the Met, um, there has been no further news. Um, the initial shutdown was on March 18th, and mm-hmm. I think March 18th, some, somewhere around there. And only for two weeks in the beginning, no one knew what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. And then after those two weeks, it was more evident that we wouldn't be returning to work for a while. So I think they had postponed the return date to maybe June, possibly June, for three weeks of orchestra concerts. And then... Um, they had planned a European tour, which was scheduled, you know, for the first time in a decade or something like that. And that was also canceled. So everyone was sad. Um, and then not too long ago, it was announced that the entire 2021 season would be canceled. And we were just all really completely devastated. Although, you know, everyone saw it coming. I was especially this appointed because um i'm new to the orchestra and it's been this lifelong dream of mine to play with this amazing fabulous group of musicians all this amazing repertoire and um so my first season kind of got short cut short there i remember when you announced that you got you got the job mm-hmm. trevor you remember that moment it was like a moment in we talked community. about it i bet we yeah. talked really? about it on this pod yeah, i think I we, bet we, we probably did. mentioned it yeah Oh my goodness! Yeah, I need to go listen to that one. Ah, I <laughs> no, can't don't tell go back. Don't go back that far in the catalog. <laughs> Please, like. whatever you do. <laughs> all of our learnings that's on so tape. Nice. But all, all of our learnings. I do on remember. Tape. Yeah, it was such a monumental moment. I think there were like a couple announcements of, uh, just like all of our various classmates and people of the past, like mm-hmm. you know, winding up at all these symphonies, and then of course like your sister, uh, yeah, going Jen, down to yeah. Dallas. Also, uh, recently. Uh, getting the the tenure, tenure, yeah, collapse. She said it. <laughs> that's that's, that's what we're talking about. Um, but Juilliard fam, it, it's it's yeah, it's got to be really obviously tough and frustrating to um, finally get to that that special moment, which is like it's it's the Met, like it's the Met. It's a one word <laughs> thing. You don't need any. There's no qualifiers. It's the Met, and it just reminds me of what I'm sure happens in, to all of these young athletes, you know, they spent all their life playing football, peewee football, middle school, high school, go to this college, win this, get draft, somehow survive without debilitating uh, concussions and injuries. And they get selected to the Patriots and everything's going to be awesome because 
you know, they're on the winning team. The Met is the winning team. It goes, the Met is going to the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> and, but then yeah. it gets shut down or something gets cut short. So I, I know uh-huh. it's, it's, it's gotta be uh, obviously difficult. At least, you know, we're, we're here. The vaccine is looking promising uh, with the recent good news of the uh, efficacy rate. And so uh, hopefully we'll get things back, but yeah please everyone wear a mask because if it can shut down the met it can shut down everyone so it really was kind of a warning shot to us all uh if you could just walk us through a little bit of that process of getting to the met because i know it was an i know it was uh quite a journey yes okay yeah um it was definitely (laughs) it was definitely not easy and i took the long road um I took something like 30, over 30 auditions um, to get where I am now. So it wasn't easy. And I definitely took, you know, I had a lot of detours, but it definitely helped me to, you know, see the scenic route and (laughs) to know exactly how to now explain it to my students and people who come for help, how to go about that. It was basically just trial and error, to put it simply. Do people reach out to you? They reach out to you for like audition assistance and stuff? Yeah, they do. I've um, heard a couple of people play now. And How can people reach out to you for that? Like, Because I'm sure some of our listeners would really love your guidance. Yeah, they can email me. Um, I have it on my website, which might be easier to remember. It's <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, exactly. JuliaChoiViolinist.com. Yeah, but basically. Well, show, show notes. Yes. It's been really nice. Um, I think that's, I I find it the most rewarding to help people get ready for auditions because I feel like I can be most helpful with that. Um, I mean, you bring with, uh, with that, all of that experience. And I know that it was such a long journey. I think that's why it recalled that like happy moment about a year ago when, you know, you reach that and a couple other people winning these positions or getting tenure. It was just like a nice, happy moment that post school, post master's degree, like, ah, like the three, <laughs> the three to four years that everyone says are oh, going to be tough yeah. and difficult uh, is even knowing that it's still not fun going through the tough and difficult, even though, you know, if you, you know, grit, persevere, push through as you did, it's, it will and should and most likely will pay off in some amount of time. So it was just a happy moment for Drew and I, you know, who reached uh, infinite success with the after our three or four years by uh, starting a podcast in my living room. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that we're here. You guys um, are awesome. <laughs> so with that journey, I know you also had some like really wonderful stops along the way. I know you were performing a bunch like with Philadelphia and then also subbing with the Met. Uh, before later joining um, them. Could you just walk us through a little bit of that journey from postgraduate school uh, to to the Met? Sure, yeah. I mean, it was four years of just freelancing, basically. Um, I did a lot of teaching. I was doing, um, that was my main source of income, just having my students. Um, that was more regular of an income kind of thing. Um but I did also make auditioning my main um, priority. And so in doing that, I was able to kind of 
get all of these opportunities performing because I kept showing up to all these auditions and just kept getting better at them and getting mm. to, you know, to semis at first and then go, going on to the finals. And that's when they start inviting you back um, to be on their sub list. So I was oh. actually really, yeah, I was really lucky in that way to, um, well, my first audition ever was in Philly, and wow, and that's <laughs> that the, was wow, yeah, Oof. that was Oof. my start. Um, break. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first one. I mean, in my first audition, I got to the finals, which it was totally by chance. It was definitely looking back on it, um, it was definitely luck. Um, a lot of luck played into it, and so. Yeah, that experience granted me the opportunity to play with these people um, on the side while I was preparing for these auditions. And then after all that audition, <laughs> I didn't do so well for a long time. Um, and perhaps, you know, ego got in the way in the beginning and I was, I was starting not to listen to myself as carefully as I should have. Um, when I was practicing and preparing for these other ones, I was like, oh, Philly, you know, if I can do well in Philly, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what, yeah. that was my mentality for maybe <laughs> the that's beginning how it goes. stages. Yeah. And that did not go well, obviously. Um, and then when I really started listening to myself again and um, being true to myself, which is, you know, essentially what musicians do, um, you just have to keep trying to improve and, be honest with yourself when you practice. Um, so that's when I started getting to finals again, to semis, and then for a long time after that, getting to finals consistently. And so that that's how I started performing with all these wonderful wow. orchestras. I have a follow-up question for that. When you were saying, like, you're practicing and you're noticing and you're listening to yourself, what is the inner dialogue going on in your head? What are like the, the things that you're telling yourself when you're trying to improve? Because I find that at least within me, I've had many cycles over my career between being incredibly vile to myself mm -hmm. as a motivator, incredibly mean. But I found that what works for me is m more patient. Like what, what sort of, what, what is, what does the tone take on when you're, when you're practicing and listening to yourself and being critical? That's a great question. <laughs> well, um, there are definitely, you know, the subjective and objective elements in audition preparation and just practicing in general. You have to think about your intonation and your rhythm and your sound and, you know, for all things. That's the skeleton of the music that you have to play. And then you have to t think about the character and the dynamics and all of that and how you're going to apply those tools that you have from your technique to make those things happen. And I agree with you. I went through a lot of ups and downs too. And where I was definitely not being nice to myself. <laughs> and, you know, I was being, I was beating myself up for a lot of it. Um, and I don't think that's really healthy either. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely a fine balance between the two. And you have to be Critical, you have to be your harshest critic for sure, but at the same time, you have to be nice to yourself and you have to be good to yourself and just accept, you know, just as you said, be patient with yourself because it's going to all work out in the end anyway. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I so that. I guess when I'm practicing, I just think 
Be patient, as you said. (laughs) (laughs) I like telling myself, if you can do this, I I know you think you're not capable of shifting, getting the shift in tune, but if you do, I'll buy you in and out. Yeah. And like, oh. I do that. Bribery, wow. folks. That's the takeaway. Bribery, yeah, wow. That's Make incentives for yourself. Bribe yourself. Bribe <laughs> your yourself, time. guys. I even, I, that reminds me of, of like back at Juilliard. I had some piece due and I like mapped out. I was like, okay, I need like 300 measures to meet the minimum minute requirement <laughs> on a big piece of sheet music, made out slashes of like the sections of the piece. And I put. <laughs> Hershey's dark chocolate on each slash. It's like, okay, if I get, <laughs> oh my god! If I get these next five measures, if I complete the return of the A A idea, I get more chocolate. That's hilarious. But actually, my sister does that too. I what? think she was, yeah. I think she. I mean, not literally, yeah. but she would have this whole bag, and she would buy a bag of like chocolate chips that you use mm-hmm. for baking. <laughs> Yeah. And just eat or M&Ms or Skittles or whatever. And when she has to learn a piece of repertoire, she just goes through it but says, okay, if I can finish this page, I get like five Skittles. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. But I it's mean, also dangerous. You know, you have to watch it. Watch it. <laughs> Peanut butter cups are my thing. Oh, the, there we the go. Reese's I'm a Kit Kat person. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Kit Kat yeah, person. So. Yeah. If we're doing candy, yeah. I love Reese's Pieces. Oh my gosh. So one of the things I want to to preface like all of your previous comments about the struggle and going through this is that for our listeners out there, Julia is amazing. She's an incredibly, an insanely good musician. Mm -hmm. So if she has struggled through this, (laughs) uh, you can too. You (laughs) can too. (laughs) But I, I think it's important to note that just for like how skilled and how dedicated and, you know, how much energy and time and thought and care has gone into uh, your lifelong journey through music, that you also still had to go through the same trials, these fears, the ups, the downs, uh, early successes, yeah. the, the long journey in between. I can't remember who, but I spoke to... Uh, a singer friend of mine, he was telling me about his, his teacher who had sung at the Met and like the quote just kind of rings in my mind. And he said like the longest walk I've ever taken in my life was from Juilliard to the Met. And for those out there, it's, it's, it's hundreds of feet away. It is literally, it's, not, it's nowhere. It's literally it's, right there. You walk across and it's, it's right across there. the street. And he said it was a 10 year walk. It's like, that's how long it wow. took this person from graduation to sing at the Met. And, oh my well, you beat that by half, so you're like your record time. Are you good? <laughs> your record time is great, but oh my god! I think it is, yeah, just important to note, like the as you mentioned and alluded to, just the the difficulty, the struggle that it still takes time. Like you still had to go in, and I like the kind of like the an- analogies and the metaphors of like getting through this, of hitting that success early, and then turning off the brain, and then having to be forgiving to yourself. I think in like writer's land, it's or in creative land it's something like be a like a a forgiving forgiving writer and a ruthless editor or something like that for sure yeah and i think what you mentioned and what i suffer from too and almost all as creators we can be kind of ruthless on both fronts or the the wrong way we're like ruthless on the creative and the the practice side and then forgiving on the editing side that's the poison that's toxic (laughs) yeah and you don't want that you went through it and you overcame it and you've like wound up at one of their premier places. And it, 
beyond just the successes of all of our colleagues that we're alluding to that 2019 spurt where uh, you and others were landing all these like sweet realizations. But I think what felt good was that um, from an outsider's perspective, knowing how much you would you'd put in and put in the work and had gone through all of this, this effort and from school and beyond to see it pay off just felt good. It felt like a big win. Thank you. (laughs) Congrats about that. Uh, I do have a question like now post, you know, post met, but we're in this, this kind of wild quarantine situation. What's your biggest quarantine project to date? And where did that inspiration come from? Great question. Yeah, so I had a couple of quarantine projects, but I think my biggest one has to be teaching. I have been teaching for many years before I joined the orchestra, but I had to give them all away um, Uh. prior to joining. Yeah, because I had to focus on my new job and, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just worried about the lack of time. So when I commit to a student, I give it my all and, you know, I never give them half of my attention. So I was worried that I wouldn't be able to do this with all the the rigor schedule mm-hmm. with all of the rehearsals and the concerts. So back in March, when this all started, I advertised that I'd be happy to take on new students. And I've been really fortunate to build a pretty great studio. And um, the value of teaching is just really invaluable, no matter, <laughs> no matter your proficiency. And I just believe that everyone should teach within their field of expertise. Um, I have a wide range of students from complete beginners to people who are preparing for orchestra auditions. Um, I've actually started a couple of kids and adults on violin from scratch on Zoom. (laughs) And I've never met a lot of these people yet in person. Um, Yeah, so I've been actually really happy about how it's been working out. Um, Of course, Zoom has its limits and its challenges and nothing beats the in-person teaching, but in general, I'm just so impressed um, and grateful for the fact that we have the resources to stay connected together can, while apart. Can I, can I like uh, do some industry talk with you real quick? Cause <laughs> this is my biggest failing. I have many failings, many things that I have failed at spectacularly and teaching is one of them because I have trouble having a retain, like retaining students week after week after week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some things that you do? I'm curious as to like what, how you structure it. Like, how do you, do you have any secrets as to how you retain students with you? Or maybe I'm just a bad teacher and people are like, well, you know, no, but I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that. <laughs> I think you're a great teacher. I've seen some of your lives on Instagram and I think it's really, I, you have such great things to say. Thank um, you. I think basically because you're the celebrity in the classical music world, people, yeah, I mean, people probably just don't know that you're willing to teach them continually, and maybe Mm -hmm. they just reach out to you for a lesson, and then they don't know that you're available, you know? So maybe you have to establish right in the beginning that you're um, available and willing to teach them for a longer time, period. I think that's basically it, and just having... Always having like a project for them for the next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Then they're just hooked, you know. <laughs> next week, and we're gonna tackle. Shifting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. 
has it been starting off students? Because I know that can kind of be intimidating since we don't really get a lot of like music education classes that I'd say a university, a music educator, teacher, it's it's very mm-hmm. focused on that beginning. And here we are at tip top fancy swanky conservatories, you know, thinking about all these super high level things. And yet I don't know how many of my teachers said, okay, when the student walks in and this is the first time they're ever doing this, this is what you do on day one. And so it can kind of be intimidating. Yeah, exactly. Can you talk us through like how do, how with all of your experience, you can approach a day one violin student? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I obviously have never started a student on Zoom before. (laughs) Um, I actually didn't have Zoom before this pandemic. I also had never used GarageBand or iMovie. I was just really technologically just shut off. And, you know, I feel like I could have done it, but I was just never really curious about it. You're practicing Don Juan. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's that's what I was doing. So, yeah, this is this is all new for me, too. But basically, I did a lot of Googling and a lot of researching. Um, I it's teaching is an art form of itself. And I think that it should just be ever evolving. And, you know, um, you can't really underestimate the value of joy that teaching brings me i don't i don't know maybe it brings it to everybody i feel no i feel that same joy girl like this really yeah it's very rewarding um and we are clearly you know living through a historical event right now but during this weird time my students were my saving grace through these entire eight months and they probably don't know this but they really lifted me up and gave me a sense of purpose um it was really hard to just be not doing anything and you know um and so this teaching thing it's an ongoing learning process for the teacher as well so during this pandemic I was freaking out about taking new students online on zoom and like they've never they had to order violins (laughs) so they're like asking me where they order violins I'm like I don't know so um (laughs) so during this pandemic prime day Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, So I was able to take this time that I was given and really, you know, use it to my advantage and pushing myself to do more research on the repertoire um, that my students were working on or just Google ways that other pedagogues talk to their students about specific things about violin technique. Um, Yeah. So a lot of Googling (laughs) and, you know, like how to set up the person um, I had to talk about like having the square and then the triangle, all of this stuff that I haven't really yeah. done before. Yeah, it's and it's not like they teach you in school. They don't teach you how to teach beginners. Um, so you kind of have to do all this work on your own. And um, yeah, but as a teacher, I just feel full responsibility to be a part of my students' lives and to be someone that they can rely on. Not only as their teacher, but also as a friend and a mentor. Um, so yeah, I think that the biggest general silver lining about this of this whole COVID era for me was the fact that um, people are finally having conversations and people are listening, speaking, and just sharing their experiences. And not just in teaching and in music, but on the grand scale in general, in politics and families and life and interviews. Um, and just sharing their knowledge and their 
expertise and their experiences. And I think it's one of the greatest things that we've been gifted, um, you know, during this time. I agree. I love that. I, and I think, (laughs) I think obviously like your students are going to take that on. I love uh, one of the things you uh, mentioned specifically is that, you know, kind of being more than a music teacher. And I just know from my own personal uh, experience, I didn't really have lessons until starting undergraduate. And mm-hmm. the reason I I went with my school, besides it being uh, in state, was that I felt that mentor, life mentor connection with my bassoon teacher. And so those four oh, years, awesome. it, it was it was a good example compared to uh, other teachers and other experiences out there of that, like, you know, setting a model for life and for the life of a musician, not just get good at bassoon. Because we knew even then that I was dipping my toe into composer land. And that was not an issue. That was an encouragement. And mm-hmm. he played a big part into that. And I still think about all the little phrases in the New, Ze- New Zealand accent uh, of, yeah, for in sure. his voice. Um, is there uh, a particular like mentor or teacher in your life that kind of set that example for you? Yeah, um, I think all of my teachers really gave me that courage to go on. And yeah, I, I do believe exactly what you said. I totally agree with what you said, um, because I think that just having someone telling you that they believe in you and that you can do it, that makes a huge, huge difference, you know, in all of these young musicians' lives. And even for us, because someone was telling you consistently that they believe in you. I mean, we were all able to make it the where we are right now. Um, so, yeah, I would say um, Miss Thomas, Sally Thomas, she was my pre-college teacher. And Shout also, out. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, Sally Thomas. And um, she was also my teacher for a couple years in undergrad. Um, she was always, always very nurturing and, you know, understanding and motherly in a way. And she always gave me... You know, she always gave me compliments all the time, maybe too much. So um, (laughs) I wish she had been like super strict with me as she had been with her students back in the day, years, decades ago. Um, I heard she was really strict when she was younger, (laughs) but she was really great for me. Also, Glenn Dictoro, Mr. Dictoro is the former New York, New York Philharmonic's concertmaster. Shout out. And he is so awesome. (laughs) He's just such a great, I mean, everyone knows him as this like amazing violinist who can do anything. And he's the best concertmaster in a lot of people's eyes. Um, But to me, he's always been this really such an encouraging teacher. um, And he was always always there for me and always giving me encouragement. Yeah. I guess those two (laughs) are the biggest shout outs for me. What do you do as, cause I'm going to go a little off the script because like I've been experiencing so many interesting feelings since leaving Juilliard. And one (laughs) of them is not having a teacher and not having that person to say, Hey, I believe in you. And like having to be that person for Mm -hmm. myself. Mm. And I'm curious, what are ways that you, uh, are there certain things that you do to continue to improve as a player that, that like, what, what are some things? Because like, for me, 
Uh, and this is the worst question I've ever asked. I apologize for the format. <laughs> no, this is amazing. I'm gonna just crop this. Bro, I'm gonna leave this all in. <laughs> oh, see, I'm, this is I'm one of the make rare it moments. Too. I have power. Trevor can, like, is gonna have so much fun because I usually don't oh mess God. up. No, my Drew. Does, I'm always fixing me. Like Drew never, never has this issue, so I'm gonna like I'm gonna like make it longer. I'm gonna space it out. So it's even like worse. just space it out. It's like a 12 it minute. <laughs> Do you want to just say it again? Drew? Twenty second no, 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 gap. No. I'm gonna spit it out. I find that my improvement comes from my colleagues. Uh, if it's not from me, uh, if it is for me, I record myself and I'm very brutal and honest as if I were uh, judging a competition. Do you do something similar to continue to grow? Like what are the litmus tests that you bring into your life to help you have the good intonation, the good rhythm and all the good bones of a musician? Uh, I think you hit it right on the nail. I, I do exactly what you do. I try to find inspiration from my colleagues, from my friends. Um, and I try to play for as many people as I can. But I think that the main growth comes from you listening to yourself play in these recordings as annoying as it might be. <laughs> and as hard as it is to just turn on the record button and to and to listen back. That's the worst part. <laughs> Um, yeah, there are just a bunch of things that you don't hear when you're actually physically playing that you can hear right in front of you in the recording. And it's not like you can go back and fix it. It's there. It's a fact. <laughs> it's there. So you kind of have to use that to get better. I also, um, used a journal for a long time during my preparation. Practice journals are really important for me because, I have a hard time remembering things mm -hmm. or I just try to like gloss over it and pretend it didn't happen. So if I write it down on a physical journal instead of, you know, all this digital stuff on your phone is one thing. But if you write it down on a piece of paper with your pen, it's different because it's more engraved that way. And you know that you have to go back and fix it the next morning. Mm hmm. So I'm oh, able next to make morning. these or That's next morning you or, you know, right away you can try that, but also try to really fix it and then go back the next morning and try to see if it worked, mm -hmm. if it clicked in context. If you can play it in context the next morning, that would be just like a test for yourself. One more follow up. I, I'm, I'm really like looking to other genres for like music theory and, and, and learning licks and I'm wondering, like, do you, how do you practice your scales? Are you doing anything kind of like innovative or avant-garde to really kind of understand your fingerboard better? Or are you just kind of like still the flesh and the glomian? What are scales? <laughs> what are scales? What are What's those? Practicing? What's practicing? One second. Hold on, let me do this I real quick. I haven't been practicing in so long, but don't include this in the thing. No, no, no. It's okay. No, I feel you. But you teach. Well, I also think. I've been there. I think it's important too to show for everyone else because we've talked about that. Like, there's actually like a good research on there about taking breaks and pauses. Uh, mm -hmm. I alluded to at my undergrad. There's just an incredible saxophone teacher, and he'd put it in the calendar every year. It was between three and six weeks. He would just set the instrument down, and he said he'd come wow. back in day one. He'd sound better than where he left off. Whoa. But he said the key was that you had to put it in the calendar. And you had to stick to it. Uh, so uh -huh. he, he wouldn't pick it up in between that time, but you bet like he wouldn't let it drag out either. 
in okay. three weeks time, boom, I'm coming back. And he, he mentioned it was kind of like a renewed sense. Uh, like the tiredness was kind of gone. It physically mm-hmm. gave the body a break. And I think what you kind of, uh, or not even kind of what you were alluding to was not only just not immediately fixing, but allowing time to pass. And there are a lot of benefits of rest, just like with exercise. If you kept exercising nonstop, you're just going to hurt yourself. You're, you're going to damage out. it. You're going to get burned yeah. out. Like the rest is actually a key part of the process. And it's the same thing mentally. When they've looked at all of these creatives, these great writers, poets, artists, composers of all types, one of the things they also noticed about was these gaps. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's in the form of a walk. Sometimes be sleep. Sometimes it's going to parties. Or sometimes it's uh, heavy drug use. Um, but yeah. whatever they did, <laughs> there was always rest built into it. And that's just yeah. a key sign of these you know, so-called greats of their craft. And so you've kind of built that in there. Another thing you alluded to specifically was the journaling aspect. And that's something only in the mm-hmm. past couple of years I started doing, and even more so ramping it up, was reflection. Uh, Drew and I just did kind of a three-part, four-part series on like finance, scheduling, and other <laughs> other fun topics. Really riveting stuff. But I think a key thing for both of us that we've started doing is outside of music, kind of journaling. Looking back at the calendar, did I actually do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I plan to spend this much money. Did I actually do that? Why did I do this? And just the act of reflection really is eye-opening. And I think that's something that in my younger life, I, I wasn't doing any reflecting. And now that's a big part of the process, looking back and learning yeah, from it. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you've incorporated that into your practice. Yeah. Do you? I have a question. Do you do that um, when you compose? Do you write down, jot down thoughts, you know, that go through the day when you're walking out in the park or something, and then you want to come back to it later? Or do you remember that? I need to do much more of it. It kind of just depends because on the nature of certain pieces. So for me, like, I really like conceptual things. And often I will spend, if if something's in five months, three to four months is research thinking. <laughs> and then the last wow. month is like, I won't put a note down on the page. and. It's it's not that that time was necessarily wasting or procrastinating, even though a lot of that uh, was uh, was was that. But uh, it's also like really like deeply and intimately like understanding what I'm going for and just kind of like mm-hmm. working out the kinks mentally and just throwing down words on paper. I think a lot of my initial sketches are always these incredibly loose things and it's little attachment to what a note is, but it's really always getting down to like what is the why of the piece Mm -hmm. what's at the crux of it and then if i've put the right amount of research and time into whatever that is the music's the easier part the the hard work's done so actually a piece i was like going back in the work for choreo comp at juilliard the dancers composers class uh we had jerome begin one of the teachers of that on the pod a while back but your sister played for my piece I know. Uh, I remember played. that. She played. And it was it amazing. Was awesome. And I had to rack my brain. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, wait, oh my God. It's really that long. <laughs> and of course, she's an incredible player. But like that piece yeah. came together in like three weeks. But I spent a hard four months thinking about, should I actually write this? Wow. <laughs> and, and what was Thank it going to be? Wrote it. So like reading all of the articles, debating the structure, like, is this appropriate to like go this far with such a difficult subject? How do I mm-hmm. get that? And talking with the the choreographer and the costumer who I now work with, she's wonderful. Uh, 
head of wardrobe at Juilliard and all these other people. Like it was so many conversations and like real sit down thinking about it uh, that when it came time and, you know, they needed to uh, see notes on the page, it just came out. <laughs> and that still is one of my, my favorite pieces I go back to and send out there. So also shout outs to Jen. Awesome. So speaking of research and putting lots of thought into things, uh, I know now in this pandemic, <laughs> you've been podcasting. Could you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> um, I need to work on that. But I, yes, I started a podcast. It's one of my um, other <laughs> projects, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have been taking a little break from it because I felt myself getting burnt out. But you guys know how much time and go- work goes into Producing an episode, so you can relate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to be staying. I didn't know that I was going to be staying up into the night editing and putting stuff together and stalking people beforehand to come up with a list of questions. Um, but I have been getting a lot of positive feedback from listeners, and I hope to get back to it soon. It's called... On tracks with Julia and on track literally just means intermission. Um, so I was just going for a laid back interview session kind of thing with my colleagues at the Met because um, before joining, I when I was attending school across the street, I would come to so many of these shows, um, but I never got to see what was going on in the orchestra. And it was always a mystery. And only when I joined the group first as a sub, um, I realized how incredibly strong and inspiring my colleagues are, just both as musicians and as people. And um, so just being furloughed at the time and having a lot of time on my hands, I came up with this idea of a podcast. And I thought it would be the perfect way to showcase the amazing people who make up our orchestra. And um, people, especially not those in the music industry, have you know asked for the ins and outs mm-hmm. and more of the finer details and the detours of my life and my career um, than they're able to find on a biography online. So through this podcast, you get this whole, as we talked about before, um, the scenic route of all the little detours and how the friends, the hows and whys of our friends' journeys. Um, and already I've learned so much more about my own colleagues that I would not have known and probably will never know if I hadn't <laughs> asked in these interviews. So I hope that my podcast will you know, serve to be many documentaries and autobiographies of people that I interview. Um, and you get to hear the voices and personalities and the faces. You see the faces <laughs> while you're at it. And yeah, I mean, right now, connection and communication are key. And I just really found myself missing so much um, the connection that we have with our colleagues and our audience members. So this was kind of my way of staying connected and to help others feel connected as well in that process. Um, And yeah, so there were (laughs) a lot of attending random master classes um, (laughs) on how to start a podcast (laughs) or and Googling. So um, to make this happen. So at some point, I'll get back into it. <laughs> I, I hope you guys were listening to that faking fam because Julia just outlined exactly what is required to have an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset. She saw a problem. 
And it was a problem that she herself wished there was a solution to. And so instead of waiting for somebody to like build it for her, she went out and she built it herself. And I think that that is the kind of spirit that musicians kind of naturally have anyway. But for some reason, we're just so afraid of creation. We're so afraid of Mm -hmm. like taking a risk and building Mm -hmm. something sustainable because business is hard. You know, building a, a show is hard and it's not what we were taught to do. But there's so much ROI in in doing that, and I'm that's why I was like, well, Julia Choice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's go, no, let's like, go, let's serious go. props yeah. to you guys for like you know for this podcast. You guys are so awesome. I've heard some of the other interviews, and I I, I was so hooked. <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun to listen to, and hopefully at some point, you know, I'll be able to get to the, this level. <laughs> Hey, you're uh, on the level. You're uh, out there. I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to start something and to see if I can do it. And, you know, it's not difficult. It's just a lot of work goes into it and you need to have that time to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, shout outs to you. You you did it as Drew kind of like outlined. <laughs> Thank you. And I think that's something that just doesn't happen often is we have this idea there's a lot of fears we know it's going to be a lot of work and even then it's more work than we thought uh, <laughs> but you still went out there and did it and i think particularly with your idea i love the i love the title of the podcast by the way it's <laughs> so good work on the, the branding front. thank uh, you <laughs> but the nice thing about it too is that these these interviews and like the one we're having now it's their time capsules they're really their time capsules it's evergreen mm-hmm. it, it we can look at it a year from now, and a lot of it uh, is still relevant, still interesting. Or 10 uh-huh. years from now, we can look back and see how far we've come since then. It's like a nice little reminder. And it's, right. it's out there for the world. And so what's particularly with yours is I like the idea and that it's um, been isolated to the Met. So it's it's like very focused, which is good. Uh, and like keeping it within your, your inner circle. But those are really interesting people who we'd like to hear from. I know a yeah. lot of people out there, we want to know what musicians are up to and also not just in their musical lives and careers. I know you talk about other things. You've had some badasses on there who've started other businesses and do all these mm-hmm. other ventures. And you know, we're getting to hear about that. That's what Drew and I wanted to do with this podcast. And that's what you've been doing that's with yours. Awesome. It's really neat hearing about these very accomplished people in music, also what they're up to, whether it's in parenthood, real estate you know, founding companies. <laughs> Would you talk a little bit about just loosely, like some of the guests and what the experience is like interacting with your colleagues at the Met and find out more about their, their, their lives outside of music? What's that like? Sure. I mean, I just joined, you know, so I'm getting to know these people just as well as the people who are listening on the podcast are. So it's kind of cool in that way that I'm, having my first interactions with some of these people at the same time, the other people are listening who are listening in are too. And so it's been really cool in a way. I am really inspired by all the people, you know, who have been there for 20 something years and um, who are moms and doing all the stuff, having careers with motherhood you know, that's that's a really big deal, just having these huge careers that take, you know, when we go to the Met, there are days that you spend from 
10 a.m. to 12 midnight <laughs> in the <laughs> in the opera house. So it's really cool and inspiring to see that all these women especially are able to juggle motherhood with careers like this and it tells me that I can do it too. Um, it might take a bunch of stuff, you know, it might be hard, but it's doable. And also there are people in the Met who, in the orchestra, there are people in the orchestra who do all these other cool things outside of music. And it's really cool to see that too, because they're a violin section member who is also a mother she is also a bar method instructor. Um, yeah, she's certified and she actually goes and teaches bar, which is a yoga Pilates type of thing, Let's but go. with more cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a realtor. There you go. I also, and then there's another violinist who I had no idea. She used to be in rock bands and she was an actor too. And I mean, there are just so many cool interesting people that and some of these things you know my colleagues would have never known outside of this interview so do you know any rappers in the mix? <laughs> no i would i got a collab we got a collab you know what I'm saying? <laughs> i think that's like alluding to that it's it's kind of amazing how uh you'd think to get to that level it's just singular mindset eye on the prize soul focus and I would have honestly thought that if not for your podcast and then seeing you posting about it. And I'm like, oh, man, like, I really got to get like they, <laughs> they also do creative stuff like outside of music. I thought well, I thought that no, was the I limiting think, factor. No, I think they were all, as you said, definitely focused on the path when they were getting their jobs. But then after that, you know, they're only going to be able to play Carmen 20 freaking years, <laughs> the same rep you know, over and over. And I think everyone just needed some sort of creative outlet to, you know, put all their energy into. Um, and so, yeah, it's cool to see that they branch out and do other things outside of music. And you're doing you, it. You too. heard it here for folks. You, you heard it here first. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> Diversification is okay. Yeah. yeah. It's encouraged. Like these, it's, it's what makes these people interesting besides just being amazing musicians i think that's something we've talked to a lot of people about on this podcast and just the more and more i you know go out into the professional landscape and speak with people is that often like what you said once you've hit that kind of like musical milestone <clears throat> you're looking for something else it's it's not that mm-hmm. we're done with the journey the musical journey is lifelong but that that journey can include other things and you yourself are doing it so you've landed in the met but now podcast podcasting <laughs> going out Travel, teaching, fashion, outfits of the day, like expanding. O T D. I'm, I'm, I'm hit. Uh, oh my but, god, Trevor! And and like your your mom's cooking show, like you. There's yes. a full branch out there that I think you know. If you had talked to Trevor four or five years ago, I would have assumed okay to get to that point. Uh, it's it's only practice room. Everything is structured purely around music, and I'm not interested in that. So I'm not going to pursue that. I'm going to do this variety show. And yet now seeing all these people who found success, who are doing really well at that thing, while also having the variety pack is informative, it's inspiring, and I love it. And like you said, mm-hmm. without that podcast, you probably wouldn't have known, most people in the world would have not known yeah. how interesting these people are beyond just 
their insane uh, musical skill. Something I've noticed on this podcast too is that people I've like either never spoken to or just knew of colleagues at Juilliard, uh, Isabel, Jenny, or two, two violists. Shout outs to violists, mm-hmm. viola gang. Um, <laughs> I didn't really know. I knew of. We saw each other in the hallway. Probably never really spoke to. But mm-hmm. just by speaking to them on the podcast, I feel like I. In those two hours, I feel like I know them more than people I've known for years. I know. It's so interesting. Has that been your experience? For sure. Yeah. I mean, you're able to really connect on them on a deeper level in these conversations in these small time capsules. Um, So I totally agree with you. I love how you talked about it like a time capsule. Can you go more into that? (laughs) Like, because that's, yeah. Like, tell us more about like that concept. Yeah, I mean, just because you're stalking these people beforehand, right? To get to know them. <laughs> that that has a lot to do with it. But also, you know, during school, we are seeing all our friends, but on a surface level a lot of the time. Um, so the deeper conversations don't really happen unless we're kind of forced to. <laughs> with all human beings, all relationships. So I think in that regard, I totally agree with you about the podcast being this concentrated time that's much more meaningful in a way. Can we go a little bit deeper in in, in a little bit of a different direction? Because like I've noticed uh, that you kind of have done a little bit of jazz and like other genres with some friends of mine most notably Mitch <laughs> Lyon shout out shout out to, yeah uh, he's he's a, a collaborator he's an empire wild with Ken Kubota who's a friend of the pod um and I've seen you guys collab like how did you guys meet and start working together yeah um we actually went to school together but, mm-hmm. and he was Matt Wright's roommate um so that's how I got <laughs> to know him because Matt was my my best friend for a time, and so we hung out pretty often in, during school. But not we've never really we had never really played together. Yeah, we reconnected recently because we were at Paul Frook's music festival called Charles Ives Music Festival. Yeah. Um, it's out in Connecticut, and so we did this um, three day period of just teaching nonstop. And doing a lot of outreach kind of deal stuff. Um, lots of workshops um, mm-hmm. of, of fiddling, improvisation. And I was like, hey, I want to do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this was something that I wish I did more. I haven't really dabbled in other genre- genres. Other than that one spontaneous video of Fly Me to the Moon with, that I made with Mitch. Crushed it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We've played a bunch of chamber music together now thanks to the festival but um this was really the only non-classical collaboration that we've done so far um and that i've done outside of just classical music and primarily because it's so scary again to just venture out and get out of your comfort zone and it's definitely something that i need to do a lot more often and um mitch actually just gave me a contact to reach out to soon for jazz Ken? violin lessons. Oh, wait, who? I don't know. I, I have oh, to look. Okay. okay, <laughs> that, okay. It's that okay. shows how invested. I get no it. free promotion. No yeah, free promotion. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I need to get on that. 
But Mitch was really great because we had built our own arrangement of this um, from the sheet music of just guitar chords. And it actually turned out pretty great. And, you know, all these people, even people that I hadn't talked to in years and lots of non-musicians were commenting and, you know, texting and saying that it was like a fresh breath of air and it really made them smile and so happy when it popped up on their feet. And, you know, that made me really happy. And it was just a testament to the fact that music is a true, it's the true universal language and it has so much of a powerful impact on everyone's lives. Um, But again, that being said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do it without Mitch though. (laughs) And I owe him all the credit in the creativity department with all the special effects and stuff, harmonizing and shuffling and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. honestly, I didn't even know that shuffling was a term. Mm -hmm. I didn't know like shuffle, chop and groove. I have a PDF to send you. (laughs) I have a PDF to send you if you're interested. Yeah, Yeah. that would be awesome, Drew. Um, yeah, all of these words were super foreign to me. Um, and I learned doing this project again, just trying to do something different, um, when I can. So I should pay Mitch a lesson fee. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I learned that even if I play the violin at a certain level, fiddling is a totally different language and Mm. it requires this entirely, this entirely separate skill set. And yeah, apparently immersion is the best way to learn it. And it gets you to be more creative with tunes and harmonies and rhythms and just more innovative in finding ways to make a tune interesting by not repeating it the same twice. The same way twice, right? Yeah. Do an A prime, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like play a piano this time. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's that it's that the office meme, like I hate jazz, just play the right notes. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah, it's hard. Um, but yeah, Mitch was this mentor for me in this way. And um, I loved our jam session. And I hope we can do more in the near future. If I might posit a suggestion, I suggest you reach out to Ken Kubota. He's always looking for people to play JHM jams. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm sure he would be tickled. Mm-hmm. Have you done one before? No, I haven't. But I always thought it would be, it was this like. It'll happen club of no, musicians you know no you got to reach out just reach out to him because okay. like i saw he was doing it and i was like hey are you doing covers too ken he's like yeah i was like you want to do something together and he was like maybe yeah. all three of us should do something there we go Ooh, you or should bust out the bassoon people. you should uh, we should bring trevor too trevor don't forget he plays bassoon. bassoon i've been on one i played mandolin Ooh, bruno oh. mars <laughs> It was two. I weeks. didn't know that. It was like That's two weeks cool. before I was I moved from New York, so I never got to do another one. But no um, way. You gotta share it. Yeah, I didn't know you were in the Jam, and Jam, bro. I snuck Which in Which number is that? Four oh. I don't. <laughs> no, no, it's five. I'm at three hundred something. I'm um, gonna like scroll and look through like, to find you. First light. It's the. It was the more recent Bruno Mars of 2018 by by more recent mm-hmm. standards, but. Uh, good times. I, I like that you, <laughs> we also, Drew and I talk <laughs> about when we're branching into other types of music, the kind of pressure, because we get really good at something. Uh, yeah. And we put all this time into it. And then when we step into a new lane, uh, it's kind of terrifying. And it, it, I guess for like athletes, if they're just amazing at football and then they go into basketball and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you can run, you're athletic, you've got good pacing, but 
you can't shoot a three pointer or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you have no idea the mechanics. And then it's kind of like this, like frustrating. It's just like, no, I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm incredible at this. And then you go into this new area. And next thing you know, football is not You're like, like a total beginner. Yeah. yeah and it's, exactly. it's this weird thing to where it's like, I've held this instrument or it's like, I've used this computer program my whole life. And yet it's amateur hour. And it's for me, it's kind of, it's, it's humbling. It's also inspiring to, to give re- respect to others and to understand what a process goes, what processes go into getting good. Uh, my, sure. my journey into like folk music through the mandolin, which was a during Juilliard journey, I drove out into the woods, uh, backwoods of North Carolina to buy a mandolin from a friend's uncle, which is a very buy a mandolin story. <laughs> so I'm in row and I sit down with these guys and I'm like, you know, like let's jam. It's these two mm-hmm. old folks. And I had like learned some like Bach, on the mandolin before and they're like what's that yeah and so and so they're like hey like let's teach them a tune and i was like yeah sure and so they're playing and i'm watching them and i don't know how they're doing what they're doing they're just mm-hmm. lights out it's like press record this is an album and i'm trying to follow along and so i asked them I was like is this in like so is this in like a minor and they like look at me and they're like oh he's he's one of those cheaters <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh, like he's a cheater. But they looked at me. I asked them, could you play that tune a little slower? Uh-huh. And they couldn't. Because they had spent their whole wow. life really knowing this music. The tune was the tune. And so they're improvising for five minutes over this folk tune. Like I said, press record. It's amazing. And I asked wow. them to slow it down. But that's not what the music was. It was just a different mindset. They couldn't play it slower because that's not what the music that's actually That's so interesting. Is. And yeah, I'm a little cheater. I should put that in my, uh, my bio. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's in your bio. Yeah, yeah. He's a look. Trevor <laughs> well, Bumgarner is a little you cheater. Make it, right? <laughs> but the point being is like it's so in- incredible and it's like humbling to sit in there. And, like, I could not hang. I could not improvise. It's still spooky. But I like that you, you're going out and do it. You're, it's Even though it is scary, like you know, being in the Met or for, you know, us like going to Juilliard and like playing with all these artists or doing all these awesome things to still go out and humble ourselves before a new genre. In order to play all these new genres, uh, particularly with jazz and improvising, you've got to have a pretty awesome ear. So I believe you were my ear training TA? Or was it for oh Blaha? Was it, oh, was throwback. It, was it, was it Blaha? Was were you it? Blaha's ear training three or were you O'Quinn th- ear training four? <laughs> The year was 2014. I, was, I think I was both. That might have been it. I remember coming to all of the, the your, your coachings. Is it like oh the, Friday, the Friday uh, coaching or something? Okay, but, honestly, I don't remember anything. It's, uh, it's, it's an appropriate thing to black out. Could you, could you talk yeah, a little bit about uh, Juilliard sure. and being an ear training <laughs> teaching fellow? Yeah, oh my goodness. Um. Yeah, I mean, there were so many memories from Juilliard, but we can talk about that later. I think that the biggest part of my college life <laughs> um, would be that I was an ear training teaching assistant. Um, and I'm not really sure how I got into this or why <laughs> I wanted to do it. Um, but a couple of my older friends were doing it and I was intrigued. And so I signed up for an audition Again, so I was just, like, always looking for opportunities to do something new. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, my how I do things. And I'm just <laughs> realizing that through this interview. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, we got reflection. Yeah. This is journaling, audio journaling. Exactly. And yeah. it would be cool to see what I do, you know, in the next 20 years and then look back on this. Hell like, yeah. Isn't that cool? Um, anyway. That. 
Yeah, so I signed up to do this audition to teach ear training, and <laughs> I just did it for fun. Um, and to my surprise, I ended up getting the job. And um, the audition was primary, primarily to see um, if I could help the students without giving away answers um, and just problem solving backwards in a way. And this is something that you do anyway when you're teaching violin or you know, anything, um, you have to see it from a different, from the student's perspective and try to help them without giving them the answer. So it was fun. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so I apparently did well and I got the job and I got to work with the late Mary Anthony Cox, who is, she was a riot. Yeah. She was a legend. Dr. Blaha, Kyle Blaha Mm -hmm. and Dr. Wayne O'Quinn. Shout outs. Shout outs. <laughs> I had both of them. Same. Uh, O'Quinn, not for ear training, though. For, yeah. Uh, for theory. For theory. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. these people and my entire experience just this helped me to regain so much of my confidence um, as a college student. And it gave me an experience that I would never have had if I had never gotten out of my comfort zone again and um, taught in front of a classroom and just. I, starting junior year, I spent four years teaching ear training, um, twice a week wow. per class. And there was one <clears throat> year where I was in charge of three separate classes, I think oh. maybe my last year. <laughs> oh, and so man. honestly, I was probably spending more time teaching these classes than attending my own. And wow. um, ear training not only helped me to develop my own year with interval pitch and rhythm training, but it helped me to become more confident in general and to scratch that itch of, you know, helping people in a classroom setting. And while I was at it, I also (laughs) earned $30, $30 a class. (laughs) Big money. Let's go. Very good money. You can buy buy a beer with that. Yeah. One whole beer. (laughs) Right. um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I remember auditioning because I was very involved and into the ear training program because I arrived and I knew I didn't have it. I knew I had gone through (laughs) undergrad without being good at it. And I knew as a composer that I needed to get good at this. It's it's a rare time that insight actually uh, paid off uh, (laughs) to where like I was like, this is going to be valuable later on. And then it actually turned out to be so down the road and i like did the right thing but i do refer to it as when when people ask about like the graduate school and i i talk to a lot of people who are auditioning and going to said juilliard and i describe the composing program you're really an ear training major like that's what you're getting your Mm -hmm. degree that's what you're signing out for and so shout (laughs) outs to that that experience but i (laughs) i went with the i auditioned for the ear training ta got it and i went with theory because it paid more and was way less work. So shout out to Theory. How much more more, did you get? Which is hilarious. Oh, like. What? It was like another (laughs) 500 bucks and it was just infinitely way less work. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so. So I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a lot of work. (laughs) But I earned $30 a class. Um, and then I saved all this up and this was actually one of the ways I was able to pay for my master's. Um, at Juilliard. So my parents told my sister and me very early on that we would have to pay for our own master's degrees. Mm -hmm. So we got to work really early on. Um, I also 
had been, you know, teaching violin at this time since freshman year. So teaching was just like always a big part of who I am. And I think I really, really find a lot of joy in doing it. So yeah, it just might feel like my natural habitat because um, my mom was a piano teacher and a teacher at a middle school. And my grandma was also actually a an elementary school teacher and wow. my grandpa was a school principal. <laughs> so Whoa. I think just wow. it's yeah, there. Oh, that's it's just like family. in my bloodline, I think. Um, you just, just didn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually almost did not have a choice um, on the grand scheme of things because my parents really wanted me to do DMA to pursue. Mm. I don't know if you guys knew that, but they wanted me to keep going with my DMA and just mm. get that degree too. But by, by that point, I had already gone to a Philly concert at Carnegie, mm-hmm. and I still really vividly remember this. Um, <laughs> it was just an amazing concert, and that actually, I, I saw that and I was like, I want to do this. I just want to perform. So that was a really striking performance for me in my life. Um, wow. and a pivotal moment. So I did not do DMA. <laughs> <laughs> Save your but, money. Um, That's incredible. Uh, yeah. You can't spell uh, choice without choice. So there you go. Hey! <laughs> I think that's how spelling works. I'm not very good at it. Yeah. But that's 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 fascinating, like that one kind of turning point to see that orchestra and then not long after the grand scheme of things to be playing with them. I can't recall. Did you have an opportunity to play with him also at Carnegie? Was that part of your journey? Like, a, did it go full circle? I did. Yeah. Wow. I did. Wow. I did. But very late, later, much later on. Um but I think that concert that I watched in out in the audience, that was the pivotal point for me. Because at that point, I was trying to decide whether I should continue on with my schooling um, and do the DMA stuff or to continue trying to take orchestra auditions. And my parents really wanted me to do, you know, the DMA program. But I decided not to do that. <laughs> but I am still teaching on the side. So I'm getting the best of both worlds now. So you heard it here, folks. Don't listen to your parents and you'll be successful. <laughs> Ignore them. That's not what <laughs> That's the takeaway. Julia Choi is letting oh you know. <laughs> Say no. Say no. To- <laughs> Say no to your parents' advice. But- <laughs> no. No, they're, they're great. Like, look at how it, it turned it. out, though. Like, that. Uh, Of course, you know, if we looked at uh, the makeup of most orchestras, very few of them have doctrix. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the most obvious thing is that PhDs and DMAs and just any postdoc work beyond that is is very academically based. And like that's not like a precursor. Getting a doctorate doesn't make you more qualified to be a performer. Getting a degree doesn't even necessarily. I'm sure there's plenty of examples where people have gone through no musical training formal training uh, in that education system uh, who could still have an opportunity. It's very mm-hmm. hats off to you. That's very difficult, but mm-hmm. uh, I like that you, you saw that moment and it kind of lit the light bulb and you, you followed it. Uh, so much of what we're told as musicians, particularly through school is either single track or very little. There, there's, there's not much talk about the windingness of the journey and how yeah. uh, even with some of your colleagues in the Met, uh, and some of these other great orchestras have like taken breaks from music, gone out and done mm-hmm. other things and still returned uh, and come in uh, better than ever. And so I just like that you you had that moment 
and then you, you put it into motion. It's like, okay, like I, I, you know what you want. And you went out and you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it wasn't that very easy. Simple. It's very simple. So like, yeah, it was definitely hard. And I'm not one of those people <laughs> who are just naturally given everything to, you know, so I really had to always be that person who's really working for it. It's not like those people who win their first or second auditions. My sister is that. <laughs> um, she won her second. Like she won her second audition ever, and then she won her third one, and she's here. Uh, so she's just, you know, she's always been so naturally gifted. But she also does work hard. Don't get me wrong; she works so hard. But I've always had to kind of take detours along the way, and it wasn't easy for me. But you know, hard work does pay off, and. You just have to keep showing up and doing your thing. And you're stronger for it. I resonate with that. So I resonate with that so deeply, Julia, because like, I feel like my whole entire career has been just like detours, like people saying there's a hallway here. And I'm like, wait, I'm going to go outside <laughs> yeah, like- and I'm going to run in a random direction. Right. That's what it kind of felt. <laughs> Well, I'll figure fine. it out. I mean, I mean look at you. Jenny. I mean, you guys are doing such awesome things. Um, and everyone finds their own path and their niche. Um, so it's truly inspiring what you guys are doing. And that's what I wanted to highlight for you is because like from the outside, without having this conversation, I would have never imagined that it was so arduous for you. Mm-hmm. Like taking 30 auditions I took one and I was, I took two and I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> canceled my third. I canceled oh my, my third. But I, I just couldn't really, I knew it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. In my deepest, for me, that's chamber music. For me, that's the conversation that we're having here. For me, it's storytelling and creating content and, and, and mm-hmm. helping people uh, understand things that they may not currently understand i love that teaching aspect that you talked about you know helping somebody serving somebody and and giving them a piece of knowledge like that light bulb moment right i had a i had a a lesson with my student wanda the other like last month and i said if you think about your airspeed when you sing because i was trying to get her to sing Mm -hmm. you know as part of the ear training you got to sing it to feel it and then I was having her sing, and then I said, wait, I'm going to bake your noodle now. <laughs> if you relate your airspeed as you sing, if you phrase, and you go, oh, and you increase your, your airspeed, you should do the same thing with the bow. And Whoa. then you'll sound like that. And when I told her that, she was like, I, I, I can see now. Like, it was like, I, I, that's phrasing. That's and awesome. So I, those light bulb moments. When was like the last time you like with a student, like said something that kind of blew their mind? Can you remember an instance like that? So basically what you just said, I've said too, but uh-huh. like you said it so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, sometimes I say things. To my students, and I'm just like, what was that? Well, yeah. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> like, no, like sometimes it comes out of my own mouth, and I'm like, wow, that was actually really cool. Like, yeah. let me try to use that for myself and go practice. <laughs> yeah, it's like it I, comes from the universe yeah. or something, and it comes exactly. through you. 
You're plugged yeah. into the universe and yeah. gave it to you to deliver. Yeah, basically, <laughs> sometimes things just come out of my mouth and I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Bars. You know? Yeah, but it's so rewarding to see these it's people so- take what you give them and try to relate it to, you know, what they're doing and to see that reward. What do you do when you like, uh, you, you realize this is clearly not getting through to them in the way that I'm explaining it. Like, what is your go-to direction to like, try to get them to understand for me, it's like, uh, trying to do another art form that they may be into like photography or, food like what sort of like metaphors do you build mm-hmm. i do that too um you do that? definitely just trying to be a little more relatable to them is mm. a huge aspect of it um mm. i have this high school korean girl mm-hmm. <laughs> um she's really smart she you know she's very book smart um she likes k-pop a lot so oh, I go. try to, so there, I'm like, she wasn't getting this triplet. And I was like, say it like, you know, in this song, like how they're saying blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I forgot what the, the song was, but that's a triplet. You recognize that, right? So can you sing it right now? And then can you try to play it? And she got it immediately after Maybe two, three weeks of just me trying to say, <laughs> play a triplet. It's a triplet. Yeah. One, two, three. <laughs> you know, three, one beat into three. <laughs> and I tried to get her to do, you know, tie and clap, all of that. But it doesn't really click unless the student is able to relate. And yeah, I mean, just being relatable. Also, um, I actually just... <laughs> spontaneously decided to record the Suzuki one book because yeah. well because my students moms and my students would just constantly ask for videos and I would send them like you know one song one song but it drains a lot out of you yeah. <laughs> so make I just decided video. to make one of all the songs and just have it on there so they can refer back to it when they practice. Do you have a YouTube channel? Yes, I do. What this was it? the first um, Suzuki stuff I've done. So, but wow. I tried to. I actually put a sticker on my bow to mark the half, <laughs> half the bow. Um. um, and then I didn't use vibrato to make it a little more relatable in that way. Um, so I think that stuff really helps if you're able to kind of be there Scaffold. for them and. Yeah, yeah, not. It's a smart business thing. Like I know, even like the great musicians, it's it's wonderful to release this stuff out in the world. I'm pretty sure, like Hilary Hahn, like she's like recording or have yeah, recorded I all know. the Suzukis, and you get these legends going out there and dropping this out there to really just show you know how to get there and actually add value. That this isn't just you know, some like educational piece or whatever. Like everyone's goes through this. Mm-hmm. It's not reserved. Uh, just for the beginning. And I like how you mentioned a really like a nice business st- strategy, aggregating mm-hmm. stuff, like pulling it together, realizing, wait, why do I have to keep re-recording this or digging through like my photos <laughs> right. to send them that one recording? And, oh, the lighting wasn't good on that one. You just, you did it all. And like now that exists and you don't have to do it again. And that's something yeah. <laughs> Drew and I talk about in, in business and in life and in general is like, how can we aggregate things? How can we automate things? How can we optimize things mm-hmm. in our lives? Because if we're doing the same thing over and over again, it prevents us from doing other things. 
essential pieces of knowledge that you think um, like undergrads or, or younger people out there should know about the music business? For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, as musicians in general, I want to say that, you know, though it seems glamorous and fabulous on the outside sometimes, <laughs> it's not always going to be rainbows and cupcakes. Um, it takes so much. Yeah, it takes so much stamina, um, discipline and dedication to be a musician and just to be in our industry and to just keep showing up for yourself. It's very emotionally, physically, whatever all just really exhausting and so you have to take care of yourself um and of course you know in this terribly difficult time that we're all currently living right now even for people who are employed and you know are professional musicians it's it's hard to keep our heads up to and just to find our place and having a purpose during this pandemic um but if you really sit down and ask yourself why you want to do what you do and know deep down that music is is your calling in life then don't give up we need music more than ever right now and especially in this time in these times we need escapes from reality and the world needs people like us musicians dancers artists to just keep creating and to take us time traveling in a way and around the world with our music and because, yeah, we essentially we um, provide the relief from the reality that so many people need. Um, and as an undergrad specifically, I would say that the most important thing is to practice and to put in the hard work. Your undergraduate years are the years that you can really thrive and grow as a musician and as a person. Um, and you will never have this amount of time to really dive into a piece of music or into the repertoire that you're working on. Um, so in the professional world, music is just thrown at you left and right, and <laughs> there's just never enough time. Um, so this is the time. Use your time wisely and try to get as much repertoire under your belt. Um, always stay curious and inspired by all the people and places that surround you, especially if you're a musician in New York City um, or in any big city, you have no excuse. I mean, the arts are just so alive and so accessible. So always be jumping on opportunities that are given to you when life gives you lemons, whatever. Um, and yeah, if they're not, ask them ask for your opportunities and you shall receive also just stay humble and do the work and just always ask for help when you need it always prepare always be prepared early is on time don't be late <laughs> yeah. and um take hellbent action for literally all the things you want and you'll get it and one last thing i just also want to mention that times are changing and the people who will survive this industry are the ones that are really able to get creative and to put their music out there. And it's not enough anymore to just practice your excerpts or your etudes or your repertoire. You need to be an entrepreneur. And it's really the key to the future of music. And outside the box thinking and pivoting as you guys are doing, embracing online stuff, creating your own niche. So that's super important. And you just have to, I guess, be more of a complete performer 
Um, and we're all struggling with ways that we can engage with our audience and with our colleagues. But I really believe that music will live and it's not going to die out because of this pandemic. The vaccine is coming really soon, hopefully mm-hmm. knocking on wood. <laughs> yeah, um, we got a couple of them. Yeah. And there have been other pandemics before our time. Eventually, we will find ways and we will get back into our concert halls. But um, I would say that it would be fruitful to always be thinking creatively <laughs> and open-mindedly about all the, all the different ways to make the music. And it makes you a better musician and your life will be super interesting this way. And I guess the biggest thing is to stay curious and to experiment and just stay open and flexible to make your career going forward. Can we just put that, can we plaster that on our wall? Just that, whole <laughs> that whole thing is, it's a big tattoo. It's good. It's a back. Oh tattoo. It's God. a great tattoo. The no, for real, it's like you've, it's like you've listened to our podcast before. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, I love it. I love that you're on this on, when you said the future of music is, is being an entrepreneur. You had totally. Me. Mm-hmm. You had me. And you guys are doing just that. <laughs> so everyone just follow, you know, Drew and Trevor's shoes. <laughs> and listen to Julia. That's all, that's all I got to say. So, I, I mean, like, you really did just, like, summarize the whole conversation right there. And I think, yeah. thanks again for coming on here. It's great to reconnect with my, uh, f- my former TA. And <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's so weird. I don't remember yeah. that. I mean, well, those who else was in like, our class? Oh man! Oh my God! See, that's the problem. I'll even start blanking. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I they have were all composers. Yeah, it's all the composers and like Josh Sardinia, Kevin. You no, know, Josh wouldn't have been in mine because I'd oh, been okay. the, like the one year, one year okay. ahead. But what a crew! But I just remember. Oh the, my that, God! That, I remember. The, I was like, <laughs> I was so intimidated teaching that class. Because well, I tough. was freaking yeah. out. Because you guys, honestly, you guys know so much more than I do about, you know, music and <laughs> pump, writing. Pump the brakes. <laughs> I don't know anything. And here's and here's this violinist trying to teach composers how to. <laughs> composers, <laughs> we really don't. Training. We don't know anything. Composers don't really know anything. <laughs> That's not true. So we we don't really. Yeah, we don't. No, really so I was really lot. intimidated, honestly. But thank you for being nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll never forget the, just, I'll keep this story brief. I remember, and I bet you can relate, like coming from like an undergraduate that wasn't a big name. We both stayed in state and worked hard and we're happy to be there in Juilliard. And, you know, there's these nerves of like, not a Napoleon complex or whatever, needing to prove oneself, but it's just like, you know, do I belong? Like, what's this going to be like? And I walked into my first class, Ear Training 1X2X, the graduate review course. I asked O'Quinn to be moved into that. I was going to start in Ear Training mm-hmm. 2. And I sat in and observed it. And I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. Like, why would I start? <laughs> so I was like, I want to be with my colleagues, the people yeah. my age. And I want to like learn this really well. And he said, okay, like one X, two X, the graduate review. And so I go in there and it's kind of like a, it's a buffet of like the top schools and all these amazing people, our friends who, you know, there's a Curtis, one Curtis, one NEC, one Yale, uh, mm-hmm. what this, what that, you know, what rice. And I was, I was like, oh my God. And then like rando me. And we all <laughs> stood up. Me. And so everyone has had, you know, it was a checklist of all these amazing, incredible uh, schools. And so I, everyone stood up and, you know, <clears throat> performed their ear training exercise. 
terrible. All everyone bombed, and it was just such a humbling and re- memorable experience. In that, that's how oh, it is. We're all in this together. Like it, it doesn't really matter. Like where you came from. Like this is going to take yeah. work for all of us. And so, with that exactly. class and beyond, super humbling. But you were an awesome TA. Less about that. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, it's so great to catch up with you. It's so great to also like hear about that journey, that it wasn't so simple, but that uh, I think I knew then what we now know here is that you've always had that grit and that drive. Uh, you were working hard then. You're working hard to get to the Met. You're working hard now and always growing. So, you know, you really do fit in and we're happy to welcome you to the faking fam because you're going out there trying new things. And I'm just, I'm just like happy to see you again and hear from you again. And I look forward to uh, whatever it is that you do next. I think that might be the nice wrap up. (laughs) What is next on your plate? Like what, what do you foresee yourself doing? Are you just going to follow the journey? What's next for Julia? Is that a rhetorical question? No, 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 is, no. We're, we're no. curious what you, what you do. Yeah, what you I don't do. No, honestly, I will surprise you guys. Yes. But honest, okay. uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to be on this podcast. Um, it's kind of a pinnacle, you know, an apex of classical music world <laughs> to be um, on the Taking Notes podcast. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's so nice to be able to reconnect with you both. And you're such great awesome musicians but also super awesome people and um it was so nice to have this time with you thank you so much we gotta do it again again. we gotta do it again Uh, make sure you check out julia Choi on instagram what what which account would you like them to like (laughs) you want to give your podcast account or your personal i can give my personal it's just j-u-l-v-l-n j-u-l-v-l-n like julia and then violin abbreviated there's actually, um, do you guys know Jonathan Van Ness? That's a, that, that sounds familiar, no, but yeah, I, I'm trying to blame He's one of the um, Fab Five, or whatever it's called. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? Yes, yeah. <laughs> there we From go. From Queer Eye. Okay, there we yeah. go. <laughs> Someone actually <laughs> um, messed my, um, they totally flipped mine with Jonathan's, because his is JVN. <laughs> Oh <laughs> no! So they sent me a DM <laughs> thinking it was him. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, Anyways. you heard it here first. It's J U L V L N on Instagram. Check her out. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thanks again. Uh, we look forward to next time, and we'll be happy to hear you playing with the Met once that vaccine gets out. So, <laughs> Hell yeah. thank Talk you. Soon. Okay. Bye.